Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. And right smack in the middle of Lent, this third Sunday of Lent, certainly in the Byzantine Catholic calendar, we have a time of joy, a time of victory, while looking and gazing upon, bowing before, raising up the instrument of sorrow and death and suffering and shame and blood and everything bad. Yes, I'm talking about the cross, the cross upon which Jesus Christ shed his blood for our redemption. At this part of the fast, the middle part of Lent, you might be feeling a little bit weary of some of the ascetical practices you chose, something like our New Year's resolution. We have good intentions, but a few weeks into it, sometimes even a few days or hours into it, we start to fail on our best intentions. Sometimes that's how things happen in Lent. Maybe you've given up things for Lent, but you've cheated on it already. You dipped in that little box of chocolate, even though you gave up chocolates for Lent. Or whatever it is that you have tried to refrain from so as to break any inordinate attachment to it, break the control that anything, anybody has over you. Now, we start, of course, with food. That's why we do fasting, because that's the thing that usually can control us the most. I mean, who can resist the power of our hunger, the, the crying of our gut for food, especially for fun food and so on? So we back away from that, but only as to get a better perception of it, a more sacramental, measured version even of food or of anything in this life. So we fast to break the tyranny of our fallen passion so that nothing has control over us. And this is difficult. It can even bring about a certain frustration or irritation and anger. A lot of people will tell me, well, Father, whenever I try to give up things for Lent, especially if I do the complete fast of no meat or dairy for 40 days, I'm partway into it and I start to get irritable. I don't know if I should back off or just drop the fast altogether or what. It's kind of like going through a forest. You go midway through it, and you start to feel lost. So what's your alternative? 
go backwards or go forward through the forest and complete it. It's basically, it's like a fork in the road. And that's where we are now. And maybe you're feeling that in Lent. If that is true, that's a good sign. That means you have chosen to really challenge yourself. And so you will come to that, I call it the threshold, where everything in you, especially your physical appetites, those things that you pulled back from, whether it's food, watching TV, your phone, whatever, those things that we normally enjoy that can kind of have a hold on us. If you've pulled back from those things, you might be feeling irritable. You might be wanting to go back to them or cheat on them a little bit. Now, that's a good thing, not the cheating. The desire that you're feeling is a good thing because that's the threshold you want to cross. You want to feel that. Every now and sometimes when you know you should go and get some exercise or work out at the gym, suddenly you start feeling tired. Well, maybe not now. I'll do it tomorrow because I'm feeling a little bit tired right now. I have to admit, I'm amazed at how that even happens to me. Like, I think I'm going to go work out, do some exercise. Ah, I'm feeling kind of tired. It's amazing how your body takes over. Like your body has its own mind, its own kind of lethargy, its own kind of fallenness. And it starts to tell you, ah, do it tomorrow. You're too tired today. And what do you do? You have to push past that threshold, that tension between wanting to do something, knowing you should, but yet feeling like you can't, or you just can't do it now. You just don't have the strength. That is a tension that is, in a sense, a kind of a holy tension. That's the tension, the threshold you want to break by hanging in there, hanging in there, toughing out, just reach in there and get just that little bit of will and break the threshold. And when you break through that, it's like breaking into another world. You're suddenly free. It's a wonderful feeling. It's very emancipating, very freeing. And you have a sense of actually being a more purified person. And that's a big part of Lent. It's trying to regain a certain purity about us, our souls, our habits. Well, that's actually the experience of some of the mystery of the cross. And that's why we put it in front of our eyes in the Byzantine church, especially during the liturgy on Sunday. So we call this the Sunday of the veneration of the cross. Now, there is a Sunday of the exaltation of the cross, which the church celebrates east and west, both lungs of the church, that happens in September, September 14th to be exact. But this is a veneration of the cross where we kind of bow before it. We carry in procession. We don't raise it up real high like during the exaltation, but we do raise it up, but mostly we bow before it. We venerate it. We say, we bow to your cross, O Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. Notice the both and there? That's that genius of the Eastern churches. Actually, both churches, East and West, have that genius of living in the both and. Two opposite things or complementary things that come together. We kind of live in their mystery, in their confluence. That's especially true in the Eastern church. So we look at the cross and we say, we bow to your cross, and all that means, you know, the suffering and so on, but we praise your holy resurrection. We're going to say these two complementary things in one breath. And why is that? Because as we are struggling with the rigors of Lent, being tempted to give it up, to backtrack, like being caught in the middle of a forest, this is the time when we look at the cross. The cross becomes a kind of an encouraging banner that's put before us that we realize now the goal of our giving up things, the goal of us struggling at this threshold, that it's about 
the victory of the cross, that we break the tyranny of all kinds of sin. This is what happened on the cross. See, the cross was not just about Christ's suffering and death, and yes, it was that, but why suffering and death? What was actually going on? What were the dynamics that were actually at play in that mystery of the cross? Well, first of all, Jesus is taking on all manner of suffering, all manner of evil, and including, finally, death. He's taking it on, and he's coming and bringing it to that threshold. And what he does is he endures it and then is able to break the tyranny of all those things, the power of all those things. So it's like a great Lent, like a kind of a like a Lent on steroids for Jesus Christ on the cross, that he's showing us that the way to break the power of these things is to take them on and to hold on to our ascetical discipline, our resistance, our prayer, our struggle, hold on to that. Yeah, it's going to hurt like it did for Jesus. We're going to feel that tension. Jesus prayed before he mounted that cross, Holy Father, let this cup pass from me, but thy will be done. So Jesus Christ came to that threshold himself, but had he not held on and broken through it, we'd have never been saved. And that's what we're doing during Lent. We're breaking through that threshold, that tension, which you should be feeling. If you're not feeling it, ramp up what you're doing, because you should be feeling it at this point, the midpoint of Lent. And that's why in the wisdom of the church, we put this sign of victory, of the destiny, the point of it all in front of us. In fact, what we do in the Eastern churches is we take a cross and we decorate it with flowers and we take it in procession and we bow before it and everybody comes up at the beginning of the liturgy or this can be done at the matin service, the morning prayer service in the Byzantine church. And we bow before that cross and we say, we bow to cross the Lord and we praise your holy resurrection. Then we venerate that cross. Then we return to our place for the rest of the liturgy. We sing while we're doing this, this procession, we sing hymns like, like this. O come, faithful, let us bow before the life-giving cross on which Christ the King of glory freely stretched out his hands to raise us to our former happiness, which we had lost because of the enemy. A bitter pleasure had exiled us far from God. Come, O faithful, let us bow before the wood which allows us to crush the head of the invisible enemy. Come, all you families of nations, with our hymns. Let us venerate the cross of the Lord. Rejoice, perfect redemption, the sin of Adam. Rejoice, venerable cross. Filled with fear, we embrace you, glorifying God and saying to him, Lord, you were nailed to the cross. Have mercy on us in your goodness and your love for humankind. This is one of the prayers that we say while we're processing with the cross and coming to venerate it. And what we're also going to look at is how we actually look at the cross and aspects of the cross, which are inanimate objects, but we're going to look at them as though they are, in fact, human, as if we're speaking to them and they are speaking to us. For example, during the morning prayer service of this Sunday of the veneration of the cross, we sing this, O lofty cross of my Lord, seeing we're addressing the cross, show me the divine image of your beauty. Imagine that. We're saying the cross has a divine image of beauty. It was an instrument of all that was ugly. Grant that I may adore your most pure glory. I speak to you and surround you with reverence as if you were alive. Oftentimes in the Byzantine liturgical tradition, we speak to things that are inanimate and we hear them speak back to us. 
See, Disney, Walt Disney, Disneyland, Disney World, that's, they've got nothing on the Byzantine church because Disney, as you know, is famous for taking inanimate objects and make them as if they become alive as human. They talk, they act like humans, whether it's a piece of wood or animal, whatever, a tree. But the Eastern churches have been doing that in their liturgy for centuries because this makes this, this whole event alive for us as if everything is full of life and can speak to us, even inanimate things. We'll talk more about this when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. This is Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy and host of EWTN Radio's Open Line Tuesday. Heavenly Father, we ask that this Lenten season prove grace-filled for each one of us, allowing for a humble examination of self that is Christ-centered and which fosters a greater awareness and love for the three eminent good works of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host, and we are venerating the cross today. We're putting before us that symbol, that reality, the cross, that piece of wood and all that it means to goad us on, to inspire us, encourage us to continue the fast. As I mentioned, it's like being in the middle of a forest and feeling lost, feeling scared. We want to go back, but going back is kind of perilous. So the only place we can go is forward, but that's perilous too. So we need something that encourages us, and that's what the cross is about. We put it up in front of us, and we speak to it, as I mentioned before the break, as if it were an animate object, in other words, a living thing, and it speaks back to us. But we do this even with other things, such as Hades itself, the devil. Oh, yeah. 
We sing this in the morning prayer today. Pilate set up three crosses in Golgotha, two for the thieves and one for the Lord of life. Seeing this, Hades asks its servants. Did you catch that? Hades is going to speak to us now. It asks its servants, who has driven this spear into my heart? A wooden lance has pierced me and I am torn apart. What pain has penetrated my womb and my heart? What sorrow stabs my spirit? I am forced to give up Adam and his children, those whom I had received from the forbidden tree, those whom I had received from the forbidden tree. For a new tree leads them to enter again into paradise. See, this technique in the Eastern churches, in the liturgy of the Eastern churches, especially on very dynamic holy days like today, is very common, very poetic, very dramatic. It makes inanimate things or things that can't talk, even places such as, in this case, Hades, talk to us as if they have a conscience and intellect, and we talk to them. We're telling the cross itself to rejoice, not ourselves only, but the cross itself to rejoice that this wood becomes now an instrument of salvation, of redemption, not just an instrument of torture, death, shame, and pain. So it makes this event and everything surrounding this event very significant, very alive in this very poetic and dramatic way. Now, when we look at the cross, and this is why we rejoice in it, we're looking at a mystery. Actually, it goes beyond just suffering and death. We're looking at a mystery, a great mystery that I say is always on this program. I repeat this genius of the Eastern churches. It's a genius of the whole church, Catholic, East and West, but I especially point out this genius that is very heightened in the Eastern churches. That's this genius of, as I mentioned earlier, living in the both and, two complementary realities that might seem impossible to come together as one, but they do, and they don't lose their own respective identities. We live, we exist in the confluence of the two. And take the cross, for example. There's Jesus on the cross. Now, let's look at the cross itself for a moment. You have a vertical bar and a horizontal bar. These are two complementary, or in a sense, opposite things. Interesting that Christ took that form that figure for his cross, for that which would be his instrument of redemption, he took that one, with, which has two opposite or complementary figures in it, vertical and horizontal, and they intersect. And where they intersect in the middle, if you look at a crucifix, especially one that has a corpus on it, whether it's an icon or statue, what is in that confluence, right where they intersect? Christ's head and his heart. So, What we're seeing then is we're being drawn by the cross to the very heart and mind of Jesus Christ. And where are his arms? His arms are in the vertical, which is the symbol of an embrace, but also of death. You know, when we go horizontal, we oftentimes use that in a kind of tongue-in-cheek. Oh, he went horizontal. I'm going to be horizontal for a while. In other words, I'm lying down, I'm sleeping, or I'm knocked out, or I'm dying. We use that oftentimes as a figure of speech, horizontal. Well, Christ's arms are horizontal, which means death, an embrace, but also death. So there you've got two complementary realities right in the horizontal bar. His arms outstretched, embracing the world, showing himself to the world, telling the world, look at me, come to me, come to my heart. It's right here in this intersection. 
at the same time, it's death. Now, the vertical bar represents that which points to life, upwards, to heaven. And that's what's interesting about the cross. If I fall back on some of my geometry from junior high school, I assume they still teach, you never know today, they still teach that lines have no ending to them. Parallel lines or intersecting lines go on forever on each end. That's geometry. Well, so too it is of the lines of the cross. Notice Christ did not use a symbol that was concentric. He used a symbol that was eccentric. In other words, that went out. A horizontal bar or line or vertical bar, the word the cross, a line, goes on forever, which means his arms are outstretched in an embrace that goes on forever, is always there for us for all eternity. Come, come, let me hug you, let me embrace you, let me take you to my heart, Jesus is saying. Forever he's saying that. And his vertical bar, the vertical bar of his cross, points upwards, which means eternity. Come to me to go that I may take you to eternity. Upward, the upward vertical bar, which is a line, never ends. But so too, the bottom of it never ends either. If we don't come to Christ, reject him, of course, we are sent to eternal damnation. Yes, that's still true, and a lot of people don't like to believe in that today. It's kind of popular to believe that nobody really goes to heaven or they don't go there forever. God would not be that mean or cruel. Well, it's not really about God's cruelness. It's about our choice that God, out of his mercy, almost uh, like a father who is spoiling his child, he gives us what we want. If we want heaven upward, we'll get it. If we don't want it, then we'll get what we didn't want. We get what we did want. We didn't want to be with God. We chose that. And so God gives us what we want. So the two bars, the vertical and horizontal bar, have a lot of significance to them. Interesting that Christ chose that instrument of suffering and death. But what else is happening in a complementary way on the cross? That which is suffering and death. And this is what we see in there. This is what people saw who stood at that cross or even passed by it. They saw only what was defeat and suffering. This is why his apostles, those who should have been at that cross to the bitter end with Christ, scattered. Peter denied Christ. They didn't figure in with Christ's strength and victory. You know, all these miracles he performed, they didn't figure this part into it. He warned him about it, but they didn't understand. So when he was on that cross, they saw him defeated, scourged, suffering, now dying. They ran away. They weren't anywhere to be found. What they didn't realize is that this was not just suffering. It was that, but what they couldn't see, what we now could see, what they eventually saw, and that's the whole crux of our faith, is seeing what seemed to be defeat was at the same time victory. It did not take away the suffering. In other words, we can't say, oh, Jesus didn't really suffer. It was all fake. No, he suffered completely, took all suffering upon him at the cross. But it was not just suffering. It was at the same time. That's a very important phrase I just used. That's the key phrase. At the same time, it was victory. It was love. It was everything God came in the flesh for. It was embracement. It was for eternity at the same time. I can't emphasize that enough because that's the mystery. That's what we mean by mystery. Two things are coming together at the same time. They're separate, but they don't remain separated. 
separate but not separated. The mystery of the cross and the central mystery of our faith is that complementary realities remain separate but not separated. They come together and we live in that confluence. Look at the Eucharist. It is an earthly substance made by man through the help of God, wine and bread. Oh, very much a substance made by man with a lot of hard work. These things have to be crushed and grown and made so that they can become the body and blood of Christ. So it's an earthly substance, very much by the hand of man, but now it becomes the body and blood of Christ, while at the same time still being that vehicle of bread and wine. It becomes a mystery. It's the bread and wine, but it's not the same thing as just bread and wine. Jesus Christ becomes present fully through and with the bread and the wine. This is a both and mystery. And what is the Eucharist? You know this, the source and summit of our existence. And what is it? A mystery. A mystery in which two complementary things come together. And we enter into that center, that very confluence of that mystery when we attend the Mass or the liturgy, as we say in the Eastern churches, and we partake of that precious body and blood of Christ, which is his real presence. That's the mystery we enter into right there in the middle of that confluence of bread and wine and Christ himself, God himself coming down upon the altar, the bread and wine changed by the action of the Holy Spirit, just like the cross, the embracing, the death, and yet the vertical, the victory coming together. We gaze upon that cross and we live the mystery of the cross we live in that confluence. That's just part of why we venerate the cross on this third Sunday of Lent. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.